Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Joseph Carlson Show. On today's show, I want to talk about Hertz. This is a car rental company. It has drawn a lot of interest from Robinhood investors as of recent months. So the past couple months, it's seen a dramatic increase in the amount of Robinhood investors that have purchased this company. I thought this was interesting. I wanted to look at what attracted so many investors to this company. So we're going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive into this company, looking at the numbers, going over it, and seeing what could possibly attract this amount of people to the company. Now, first, let's jump into Hertz. Like I mentioned, this is a car rental company. I'll read a a really brief description of the company. It says that Hertz Global Holding, ticker symbol HTZ, together with its subsidiaries, provides airport and off-airport vehicle rental and leasing services. It rents vehicles on an hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, or multi-month basis. So that's all this company really is. It's a vehicle rental company. It's a pretty big one. It has 567,000 different vehicles that it can rent out. It's the second largest rental company in the United States. Now, the question is, why do I care about this company? Why do I even care to look at it? This brings me to Robintrack.net. This is the website that tracks Robinhood user behavior. And I took a look at this and noticed that there's a lot of interest from Robinhood users in the company Hertz. It's attracting the interest of many users. In fact, if we look at this trend here, the pink line is the stock price of Hertz. The green line is the amount of Robinhood users that own at least one share in this company. The amount of users that have gone out of their way to purchase a share in Hertz. If you look at this, just a few months ago, there was about 2,000 Robinhood users owning a piece of this stock. And then ever since a couple months ago, the number of users has gone up exponentially. There's been a huge interest in this stock. Currently, right now, there are about 167,000 Robinhood users that have decided to buy a piece of Hertz. They want to own a bit of this company. They've at least purchased one share of it, 167,000. That's a lot of users. There's something about this company that's attractive to a large portion of the Robinhood user base. In fact, that's so many users that it bumps it to number 47 in popularity of stocks held among Robinhood users. Number 47. Think about all the different companies out there. There are thousands of companies that you can buy on the different stock exchanges. This one's number 47. It's in the top 50. So my question is, why? Why are so many Robinhood users buying this stock? What is attracting them to it? I think that's a fair question, and that's what I'm going to look into. What I thought would be interesting is to go and look at different people's advice on stock picking that are renowned for their own stock picking. People that have done this before, they're very successful at it, and the methods that they use to stock pick. I'll go ahead and I'll give one example here from Bill Ackman. This is the method that he uses in order to figure out what stocks he wants to buy. Uh, So we look for very high quality businesses, uh, what we describe as simple, predictable, free cash flow generative, dominant businesses, a a business that Warren Buffett would describe as having a moat around it, right? If you you believe that the value of anything financial is the present value of the cash you can take out of it over its life, well, you need to know how much cash is going to generate over its life. So So business quality to us is the single most important 
uh, criterion for determining what's interesting. Because if, if we can't predict the cash flows, we don't know what it's worth. If we don't know what it's worth, we can't invest. So we figure out what it's worth, figure out how good the business is, how predictable will this cash flows be from a railroad or a spirits company or a real estate company, shopping mall business. Uh, and then we say, uh, okay, well, where's the trading? Um, and if there's a wide gap between price and value, uh, you can buy for 50 cents, it's worth $1.20. Well, then we're going to take a hard look and try to understand why it trades at a deep discount. And uh, once we understand the reasons, we decide, well, these things that we can solve. You know, or, or can we, in light of the situation, uh, the circumstances, can we be influential in changing these, these levers that can cause this valuation discrepancy to narrow? And is this a business that, while we're causing the valuation discrepancy to narrow, we can also perhaps contribute to the valuation growing? Uh, if those things are true, we found something that looks quite interesting for us. Okay, so Bill Ackman there says that cash flow is the key. That is the main thing that he looks at is the predictable free cash flow of a company. And he looks at the present value of the future cash flow to determine whether the stock is underpriced. Now, he gives a couple other things that he looks at. If it's what he calls a high quality business with a big moat, it has a competitive advantage, all those things. But the main thing that Ackman outlines is consistent, reliable, predictable free cash flow. That is the number one thing he looks at. And he says that he can't even determine the value of a company without being able to determine its future cash flow. Now, cash flow might be the most important thing to Bill Ackman, but let's go ahead and take a look at a couple other investors and get their input on the subject while we're at it. This is Charlie Munger. He goes through the steps that he uses to pick a stock. We have to deal in things that we're capable of understanding. And then once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally, no matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense and gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. So Charlie Munger also has a pretty simple list of things he looks for when picking stocks. It needs to be in a circle of competence, something that he can understand. It needs to have a moat, basically the same thing that Ackman listed off. He wants it to have good management. And of course, he needs it to be at a good price that gives him a margin of safety. That's Charlie Munger's list of how he invests in stocks. Pretty simple. Now, while we're at it, let's go ahead and look at one more person's advice on how he picks stocks. This is Peter Lynch, one of the best stock pickers to ever live, saying what he thinks is the most important thing when he looks at companies. I made 10 or 15 times my money in Dunkin' Donuts. Those are the kind of stocks I can understand. If you don't understand it, it doesn't work. This is the single biggest principle. And it bothers me that people are very careful in their money. The public, when they buy a refrigerator, they get a consumer reports, they buy a microwave oven, they do that. They ask people what's the best kind of radar range or, they, or what kind of car to buy. They do research on apartments. When they, go to, when they go on a trip to Wyoming, they get the mobile travel guide or California. When they go to Europe, they get the Michelin travel guide. People will hear a tip on a bus on some stock and they'll put half their life savings <laughs> in it before sunset and they wonder why they lose money in the stock market. And when they lose money, they blame it on the institutions and program trading. That is garbage. They didn't do any research. They bought a piece of junk. They didn't look at the balance sheet. And that's what you get for it. And that's what we were being driven to. And it's self-fulfilling. 
the public does terrible investing and they, they say they don't have a chance. It's because that's the, way they're, that's the way they're acting. I'm trying to convince people there is a method. There are reasons for stocks that go up. Peter Lynch was known for his rigorous research into every single company he invested in. He knew everything about those companies. He knew the financials, the balance sheet, the amount of debt, the amount of profits. He knew how many stores they're going to be opening every single year. He knew the products they sell. He talked to the customers. He would try out the products himself. He knew what he owned. That's what he's saying. The advice to know what you own doesn't mean that you simply have heard of the company. He's saying to know everything about the company. He knew everything about the companies he invested in, and that's what he credits to most of his success is knowing the company so well, he knew when to buy them and when to sell them because of the amount of research he's done into those companies. Now, we've just heard how Bill Ackman, Charlie Munger, and Peter Lynch pick stocks. They have a lot of overlap between them. They they list off things like having a moat, having a competitive advantage, circle of competence, knowing what you own, and predictable cash flow. Those are all important things when you're looking at stocks. This brings us back to the question of why Robinhood users are buying Hertz. Why are they buying this company? Especially given the fact that May 22nd, Wall Street Journal came out with an article saying that Hertz was filing for bankruptcy. Chapter 11 with no deal in place from creditors. So it's just a formal Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And yet after that filing, 100,000 plus investors on Robinhood decided to buy shares of the company. The question of why Robinhood users are flocking to the company Hertz has a lot of different theories, but one of them that I want to focus on is this article written by Matt Levin. It's a great article, and he has what I think is an accurate theory of why Robinhood users are buying this company. His answer is fun. Day traders might have fun saving Hertz from bankruptcy. Basically, he's saying that the main reason, the primary reason that investors are investing in Hertz is because it's fun. That's the investing strategy. Now I'll read through a couple parts of this article because I think Matt is spot on here. He says, but there is another theory. The theory is that the stock market is a fun casino and you should buy stocks because they'll go up and down in an exciting fashion and it might make you rich. This is a very old theory and I suspect that for much of history of financial markets, it was considerably more popular and better supported than the discounted present value to cash flow things. That whole discounted present value of cash flow things is what Bill Ackman was talking about. Now in this next part, Matt actually tries to give a formulaic value for fun. He tries to map out the value of fun and highlight the fact that investors are willing to pay a premium to invest in companies that are fun. He says, again, without a rigorous quantitative model of fun, this theory does not produce a well-defined value for any stock. It doesn't tell you precisely how much you should pay for a stock in order to have fun. Still, the imprecise subjective values it produced should at least sometimes be different from those produced by normal, boring, financy theories about owning companies' cash flows. Some companies are exactly as fun as their cash flows. If you want a sound investment, you should pay X amount for them. And if you want to have a good time, you should also pay X amount for them. Because their cash flows will pay for the amount of fun with the present value of X. Other companies are less fun than their cash flows, and you should demand a discount to invest in them. And some companies are much more fun than their cash flows, and people will buy their stock for entertainment without worrying too much about the conventional valuation. So he's saying there's two sides to this. If a company is more boring than its cash flows, people will demand a discount. And if the company is much more entertaining, if it's on the fun side, people don't even worry about the cash flow. They don't care about cash flow of the company. They don't care about the actual value of the company. They're investing purely based off of entertainment. 
Now we take Hertz, for example. This is a company where it's difficult to argue that the investors are looking at this company, that they know what they own, and they're investing in it based off of its future cash flow, or because it's a high quality company, or because it has a moat, or any of those reasons. If you look at this company, they're in the hole. They're in a lot of debt. They have more debt than they have ability to pay off that debt. And the way that they're looking to pay back that debt is by selling stock to shareholders. That's how they plan on paying back their debts. It says here that Hertz filed for bankruptcy on May 22nd. The total market value of its stock was about $785 million. Hertz is roughly $3 billion in corporate bonds were trading earlier this week around 40 cents on the dollar, suggesting that the value of Hertz's stock at best is about negative 1.8 billion. So this company's going through bankruptcy right now. It can't come up with the cash to pay back its creditors. And what it's doing is asking the shareholder to pay back the creditor. He says, of course, stock can't really have negative value. If Hertz is actually 1.8 billion in the hole to its creditors, it can't go out and demand that its shareholders come up with the money, but it can ask them to. It can just say to shareholders and any potential new shareholders, hey, would you like to kick in a billion dollars to pay back our debts? Doesn't hurt to ask. That's really what this company's trying to do, to ask shareholders to pay back the company's debtors. Now, why would anybody do this? Why would you buy shares of a company knowing that they're just going to use that money to pay back their creditors? Jared Elias, a law professor that has examined hundreds of bankruptcies like this, says that, quote, Hertz looks at the market and sees that there's a group of irrational traders who are buying the stock. And the response to that is to seek to sell the stock to these people in hopes of raising some amounts of money to fund the restructuring. So he's saying this company is basically taking advantage of irrational traders, people that really don't know what they're doing. They're putting money into this company, and they're fine using that money to pay for their restructuring. Now, it gives some examples of these people buying this stock. It says, Hertz shareholders, meanwhile, are nuts. Ty Gown, a 23-year-old salesman in San Francisco, bought 35,000 Hertz shares on June 4th at a buck 43, spending a little over $50,000, according to documents viewed by the Wall Street Journal. Quote, it was my entire life savings, he said. I decided, you know, if I'm going to do it, I should do it big, and I'll make a play and see what comes out of it. That's his rationalization for it. Because if he's going to do it, he's going to do it big. Either way, it's going to be exciting. Ty here put $50,000, his entire life savings, on this one company. And I think that he represents a lot of people. People that they're not really looking at the fundamentals. They don't really know too much about the company, other than they think it might turn around. The situation might work out good. I'm not sure how in this scenario where it's bankrupt and they owe more money to creditors than they have available right now, And the only way to pay back some of the money they owe to creditors is by taking money from shareholders. I think it's a really interesting situation, but there's people willing to put their entire life savings in it. If we go back to this clip of Peter Lynch, I want to play one part of it again. People will hear a tip on a bus on some stock, and they'll put half their life savings in it before sunset, and they wonder why they lose money in the stock market. And when they lose money, they blame it on the institutions and program trading. That is garbage. They didn't do any research. They bought a piece of junk. They didn't look at the balance sheet. And that's what you get for it. In this case, he didn't put half his life savings in Hertz. He put his whole life savings in this company without any clue of how it's really going to turn out. There's really no predictability. There's no way of projecting future cash flow. It's just a gamble. That's what he's doing, Gary. He's doing a simple gamble. But this is what a lot of the stock market has turned into a fun casino where people can come and buy stocks because they'll go up and down in value in exciting fashion, and it might make them rich quick. 
That's what a lot of people want. If you look at this, Hertz definitely fits this category. Just today, it was down 33%. It has days where it goes up 40 or 50%. This stock is all over the place. It's exciting to own. That's why I think a lot of Robinhood investors hold it. It's exciting to own. It's fun to own these type of stocks. You might make money, you might lose it, you have no clue. It's basically gambling. And I think with the pandemic and the prolonged shutdown of casinos, it's drawn a lot more attention of gamblers to move to stocks. So so I think we're seeing more of this as a result of that. So I just want to be clear about something. I'm never going to pick a investment or a stock to own based on the fact that I think it will be exciting or fun to own. That's never going to be a part of my investment strategy. I, I noticed a lot of new content being created on that premise. A lot of new content in the financial realm created with the purpose of being entertaining or exciting. You never know if the price is going to go up or down. That's not what I plan on doing here, and I wouldn't trust my money to that. I care far too much about my money. The companies that I pick have something in common. They have very reliable and consistent and predictable free cash flow. These are companies that have such predictability in their cash flow that all of them can pay dividends. They can pay dividends on a quarterly basis. That's how predictable their cash flow is. That amount of money, if I go to the past month here, I've earned $310 in dividends in the past 30 days. This is really consistent. This has been consistent income even during this recession and pandemic and government shutdown. Even during all of that, the companies that I own have such consistent and predictable income that they continue to pay out shareholders. So that's the focus of my portfolio. It's never going to be something where I go and I, I look at companies and I try to figure out what would be the most entertaining investment to invest in. That's not what I plan on doing in this channel. I just want to make that clear. This is about making money. I think that it's exciting and fun to see a consistent stream of reliable income come into your checking account, come into your cash balance. To me, that's fun. To me, that's exciting. Now, moving on, I want to talk about one report here. This just came out today that the U.S. retail sales rose a record 18% in May. This is, of course, much quicker than expected by The Economist. That's a common theme. In recent weeks, retail executives have said that spending picked up at the end of April and into May and that shoppers returned to reopen stores faster than expected. That's what I think you're going to see a lot of, that the return to economic activity is quicker than economists suspected. Uh, This doesn't surprise me. It's not faster than I expected. I've been saying for a while that my thesis for putting so much money in the market right now is I think that the U.S. economy is going to return back to normal quicker than most people believe. That's what I believe. So that's part of my investing thesis. If we look at it, the big bearish news right now, the big scary news is new coronavirus cases, that second wave. But what I see is people not being as fearful about it. See a lot of economic activity, even though people know about the coronavirus. There's no more warning about it. People have heard everything there is to hear about the coronavirus. They know it very well. And what people fear more than anything is the unknown. That is the biggest fear to people. When there's a virus spreading and we don't know much about it, we don't know the fatality rate, we don't know who it really targets, Does it harm certain people more than others? Does it have some kind of factor that we don't know? That's what's scary. When we know about the coronavirus, and we've learned about it over the past months, people are naturally going to be less scared about it, even though it's still deadly, even though it still kills people. Just the fact that we know of it makes it less scary. So that's what I'm seeing, and the economic activity reflects that. There's people returning to casinos, there's people going on vacation, there's people going to large protests, there's all sorts of things going on that show that people aren't as concerned about the coronavirus as they were a couple months ago. So we'll see what comes of this. But personally, my prediction, I think people will continue to resume economic activity, 
even if the number of cases goes up. Just the fact that people know what it is, they understand it, I think is going to make them a lot less fearful of it. Okay, let's move on to some emails. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. That's the email address. The first one is from Maxwell's Demon. He says, hello, Joseph. Just watched your most recent upload on your new goal of reaching 1 million. Good luck, and I hope you and me both get there soon. But isn't this against what you've advised in prior videos? The Joseph that I know would have set a goal on the amount of passive dividend income, not on the top line number of portfolio value, where we are at the mercy of volatility. Looking forward to hearing back from you soon. That's a good critique, Maxwell, a good criticism. The main goal of my portfolio is to create an additional stream of revenue that can support or at least subsidize a big part of my life. That's the goal of it. I view my portfolio as a bunch of assets that generate revenue. And as long as they're generating reliable and consistent revenue, they can pay me out the shareholder. And then I can use that. So that's the bottom line. That's what I look at is how much money am I getting every single month in a reliable and growing fashion. So that's the main objective. But I do think it's somewhat exciting to look at these arbitrary landmarks. So we look at $100,000. That number doesn't really mean anything. It's a arbitrary number. Why do I celebrate getting to $100,000? Just because it's a symbolic landmark. It's an exciting thing to to cross over. The same thing with a million dollars. A million dollars has been this symbolic landmark for as long as I can remember. Growing up, if you had a million dollars, you were rich. That number has changed over time with inflation. It's much less than it was 10 years ago, but yet it's still this symbolic landmark, $1 million. So I just picked it because I thought it was a fun symbolic landmark. It's part of the uh, process of growing wealth is eventually you'll hit a million dollars. Most people will if you do invest over your lifetime. And I think that'll be a fun thing to hit. But yes, my primary goal is to have a collection of assets that pay me reliable, consistent income. That's certainly my focus. A million dollars is going to be a consequence of getting there. It's going to be a side effect of building up a stream of passive income is eventually my portfolio will hit a value of a million dollars. Mohammed says, hi, Joseph. Hope you are well. I came across your YouTube channel a few weeks ago and quickly got drawn into your investment strategy. I sincerely appreciate your time and effort for making the videos. Great work. I appreciate that, Mohammed. He says, I am writing to get some personal advice on investing strategy. My religious belief prohibits me from investing in certain businesses, including alcohol, gambling, adult entertainment, and so on. In addition, the business cannot have excess interest-bearing debt or interest-bearing securities with the aim of receiving interest. As a result, I cannot invest in bonds or index funds such as the S&P 500. I am in the process of building a custom pie in M1 Finance and wanted to ask you about ticker AMANX. What are your thoughts on it in terms of returns? My goal is to add individual holdings of this fund into M1 and add a few other stocks in order to create a dividend growth portfolio. Thank you for your time. Well, Mohammed, I appreciate the email. This is an interesting question. So your religious beliefs prevent you from investing in alcohol, gambling, adult entertainment, and interest-bearing securities. So companies with a lot of debt or companies that have a lot of loans and the aims of, of making interest on it. Uh, that does rule out a significant portion of companies, especially the debt part. The debt part rules out a lot of it. I think I've looked at AMANX. I think the returns on it are decent. So you can pick some companies from that. If you're going to look for companies that aren't about alcohol, gambling, entertainment, and they don't have much debt, I would look at tech companies. You're going to find a lot of big tech companies that carry next to no debt, that have nothing to do with gambling or adult entertainment, and they have really good profits. They're really good businesses. So you could look at 
Microsoft is one. That is an example of a company that has next to no debt. Uh, they could pay off their debt anytime. They have enough cash on balance to pay off any amounts of debt they have. They might have a handful of billions, but in comparison to the size of the company, it's relatively nothing. So the same thing goes for Apple, extremely little debt. The same thing with companies like Visa. These are companies that they're not basing their business off of owning debt or lending out to other companies. So those are ones that I would look at. I would focus on tech companies. I think they'll both have good returns and they will fit in with the uh, limitations you have with your beliefs. So those are the ones that I would go with. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode there. If you haven't already, you can check out the Discord. We've had hundreds of members join over the past week. It's been pretty fun to get to know all of you. So you can look at that. We have some exciting projects coming up with that as well. So things that we'll be coming out with in the upcoming month. But I will uh, leave you here. I'll talk with you guys soon. I'll have another episode out probably this week.